This is Living Faith, the podcast ministry of First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. We are located at 100 North Lake Avenue. Our Sunday morning services start at 1045 a.m. Sunday school is at 930 a.m. You can find out more information about First Baptist Church at fbcap.net. You're listening to our current Sunday morning series, Who Are We? Well, take your Bible, if you will. We're in a, a series that's kind of what we would call in preaching terms more of a, a topical series that we're looking at different things and different uh, locations in Scripture. Uh, most of the time throughout the church year, I'm preaching through books of the Bible, but in the next several weeks, we're going to continue our look at who are we? It's a simple question. Who are we? Uh, the idea is looking at it from the standpoint uh, as a church. We live in a day and an age to where it literally, uh, I've asked this several times, literally I've been asked, what does it take to start a church? Uh, somebody to go out there and start a church. It's, it's simple and as sad as that is, uh, a group of people can go out there and say, this is a church and I'm sure there's uh, some paperwork involved if you want to be considered a tax-exempt status or however, not-for-profit, however that works in legal terms. But literally all you could really do is a couple of us could go out and rent a building and we could put something church on there and we could be a church. And people could walk by there and say, well, there's a church. Why don't we go in there and, and worship? And why don't we go in there or attend? And uh, that, that can be scary. Uh, because you, you don't really know what's going on and how it's going on. And, and as you look at our world today, I think that is a, a big problem. If we have a ministry, if we have a website, if we have a blog, if we're on television, if we have a building, if we have a title, then we hear something and we think, well, that's a, that's a church and you do this and I do that. And who are we to say somebody's right and somebody's wrong? And I think that's very dangerous. And so I want us to consider who are we? Who are we as a Christian? Who are we as Baptists? I think that's important to understand. We are a Baptist church. It was started as a Baptist church. Who are we as Southern Baptists? Other than just being a Baptist church, what does it mean to be part of the the Southern Baptist Convention? So we're going to look at these things. Who are we as Baptists? What does it mean to be a Baptist? We've already looked at the idea that historically Baptists believe in the, the authority of God's Word, the, the perfection of God's Word. It's without error and it's our guide and our practice for living the Christian life. It is, it is God breathing unto us His truth, the Scripture. We looked at historically the importance of believers' baptism and why is it that we baptize by immersion, but more importantly, that the, the early church folks decided that when you make a profession of faith, you have to confess and believe in yourself. There needs to be a point and a time where repentance and faith takes place and baptism becomes that profession of faith after you have made that decision for Christ. And that goes against what was taking place in the early church where we were confirming and baptizing infants. And Baptists said, you know, there needs to be a point and a time where everyone should call on the name of the Lord and be saved. And identify with salvation in Christ in the church through baptism by immersion as Christ did. Today I want us to look at the topic priesthood of believers. 
And when you hear that word priesthood of believer, just for to, to, to go back a little bit, when you think about how long we've been around, we looked at a few weeks ago, uh, the first Baptist church that we have on print was 1609 in Amsterdam. And so when you look at the distinctiveness of being a Baptist church, you have to understand what was going on at that time. And the, we, we, a historical word is the, the Protestant Reformation. It was the idea, if you think back to the 1500s and the, and the Protestant Reformation, what was the church, the main church that was established in, in governing and ruling would have been the Roman Catholic Church. And so if you'd have looked at the Roman Catholic Church in the 1500s and Martin Luther, the great reformer, began to realize that there are some things that, that were taking place that may not be explicitly laid out in Scripture. And so the Protestant Reformation was a pull away from the Catholic Church. And we have our Protestant churches where uh, I believe Baptists came from and Methodists came from and all the other evangelical churches had come from the Protestant Reformation. And one of the distinctives was priesthood of believers. So I want us to look at that term and understand what that means for us today and look at it from many contexts, the idea of who we are in Christ, what Christ has done for us, what that means to us as we live our life, and how that is played out in the body life of the church. So look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 will be our first verse as we understand this priesthood of believers, you'll notice in your bulletin, it was in there last week, I have a, a statement by believers' baptism. And you may notice it says Pastor John's personal statement of faith. Uh, a few years ago, myself and another staff member at a church I was pastoring, we, we took the Baptist faith and message and historical Baptist documents, and we wanted to say more fully what it is that we did believe. And so I just simply say it's my statement of faith, not that it's different than our church's statement of faith, but my statement of faith has not been constitutionally voted on as the church's statement of faith. The church's statement of faith is a Baptist faith and message. I have just taken the Baptist faith and message and other Baptist documents and created a, a statement of faith that allows me to say a little bit more uh, under my name as a pastor. So that is believer's baptism, which we looked up last week. And then we have the priesthood of believers. You take the time to read that. It is written by Danny Aiken, who is one of our seminary presidents in southeastern in Wake Forest, North Carolina. But the idea is priesthood of believers. 1 Timothy 2, five. Well, beginning in verse 1. 1 Timothy 2, verse 1. First of all, then, I urge that supplication... Here, here's the context of Timothy. Paul to Timothy. Timothy's an elder, a leading a church. It's the word for Timothy as he's setting up the church. That's what I love about the pastoral epistles. If you want to know how the church ought to function, First and Second Timothy and Titus, look at the pastoral epistles and see the words that God gave through Paul to Timothy and Titus as the church is being established. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayer, and intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Aren't you glad that prayer is the foundation of everything we do? Or is it? We can say it, but do we really live it out? God says, I want us to be people that are praying. And we'll, we'll see why in a moment. Pray for all people. I had this conversation not long ago. Look at verse 2. For kings and all who are in high positions. I'm going to make this one statement. I'm going to move on. We love to gripe about politics, but when's the last time you've prayed for your president by name? 
When's the last time you prayed for your congressman by name and your senator by name and your councilman by name and your mayor by name? We love to talk about how evil they are and how terrible they are. They are appointed there by God. Amen? I thought so. Pray for them. Doesn't say ridicule them or talk about them. Facebook post about them. Slander about them. What does it say? Pray for them. Go back in the Old Testament. God said, you want a king? I'll give you a king. We pray for them. Humbly. Calling on the Lord to change our heart as he changes their heart. I've often said the reason our political climate is the way that we are is because the church is not being who the church ought to be. There's more things said about politics and politicians and those leading our nation in a church and less prayers going up for them. And that's a shame. For all who in high positions that we may lead a peaceable and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and is pleasing to God our Savior. Verse 4 who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. God is saying, listen, you pray for people. You pray for those that are leading. God is a God that is ruling on the throne of glory. There is not a person in office that God has not placed there. There is not anything going on under the control of God and his loving, merciful, sovereign rule. We pray for all people because he desires for people to be saved. This is not a Jewish religion. This is not a Gentile-only religion for Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord in repentance and faith will be saved. It's all about the gospel. Everything we do is so that people can hear and respond to the gospel. It is a gospel-centered everything that we do. Verse 5, 4, because there's one God. And there's one mediator between God. And men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom. We just sang about that. Who gave himself a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the appointed time. Notice there in verse 5, there's one God. There's one God. There's a lot of isms, but there's one God. And there's one mediator, Jesus Christ. And he is standing between man and God. And he has paid the price in full. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We're grateful that you sent your son. And your son paid the price for our sins. So that whosoever hears and responds to the calling upon their heart through the gospel will be saved. We're grateful that it is not a man that saves us. It is not a church that saves us. But the Lord Jesus Christ that saves us. Help us to be a people that see what it is to be a priest because of who we are in Christ. 
We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, certain times you remember things, you know, where you were, what you were doing. I remember one afternoon, I'll never forget, I was sitting in the, we had a little room off the back of our house, and I was sitting there. I don't, it had to be like a weekend. I was sitting there watching TV or something or peeling around there, I call it. And uh, Brantley and one of his friends, Matt, was in the backyard on the trampoline. They were playing. They were little tots, wee little lads. And Brantley came out there and he says, Daddy, Matt and I are talking about what it means to be a Christian. Will you come out here and tell them? I said, son, why don't you tell him? He walks outside. He comes back inside and says, dad, Matt just prayed to receive Christ. He's a Christian now, isn't he? I said, yes, he is. Why do I share that? Do I need to go out there and share the gospel because I'm the pastor? Am I a mediator? Is there something that a pastor can do that no one else can do and that that pastor steps in there and takes the gospel and shares with him and and then I hand it to Christ and then Christ, no. All I was simply saying is, son, you can share the gospel just as well as I can, if not better. You can explain to someone what it means to be saved just as well as I can, if not better. And in the early church in the 1600s, as we get a trace our history back, which is a great history to trace back, the priesthood of believers began to understand. We don't need anybody to get us to God. I don't need a, a church structure to get me to God. I don't need a man. I don't need a, an earthly priest as a mediator to get me to God. The only thing we need is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our mediator. Could you imagine what that would have been like in the 1600s when you have been taught for so many years that there is a church that saves and apart from belonging to that church, you will not be saved. Could you imagine what that would have felt like if you were part of a, of a religious system and organization to where you had a church and that church had a man and that church had a figure that was there as a messenger between the gospel and Christ and his church? Could you imagine how freeing that would have been? It's very freeing. Everything that has been done and needs to be done has been done. We have access to God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ needs to do nothing more. Nothing else needs to be done. Nothing else needs to be invented. There's no structure this side of heaven that gets us to God. The only thing that allows us to come into the presence of God is this price that Christ paid on Calvary and our repentance and our faith and our trust in who he is. And the word of God says that we are saved through that and that alone. Isn't that great news? That'll make Baptists want to shout, shouldn't it? By grace through faith, not of works, so that man should not boast.
So when we look at this understanding, hey, we are, we are good Baptist people. Now, for those that may be visiting with us, yes, this is a Baptist series. I think it's important. We're a Baptist church. We need to know that we're Baptist. I always want to say this every week. I'm not Baptist because I just was raised Baptist and my mama told me I'm Baptist and that's just what we do. We're Baptist. I am a Baptist minister because I believe what Baptists believe is what Scripture teaches about the way that we do church. Are we perfect? No, because you and I are part of it. But I'm proud to be a believer of Jesus Christ and I'm proud to be part of a Baptist church and it is important to me. And we need to understand what it means to believe in the priesthood of believers. Christ is our only mediator. Turn, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to look at Hebrews, a couple of verses. Hebrews chapter 4, beginning there in verse 16. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Now, think about this from the standpoint of an Old Testament concept. What did under the old law the priest do? The priest took our offering, our sacrifice, entered into the holies of holies on a specific time, on a specific day, for a specific reason, and he did what we could not do to God. And without that priest, it wouldn't get done. That's the old covenant. That's the old law. And as you read Hebrews, think about it from that standpoint. Hebrews 4.14, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet... And as Pastor Matt shared with us, without sin. When I think about my assurance of salvation, and so many times uh, there are different times I know that we may question our assurance. I think sometimes it's healthy to be able to to wrestle with the thing to the Lord. But I think a false assurance can be unhealthy. And not having assurance is very unhealthy. A lot of times we may wrestle with that. Somebody says, how do you know you're saved? I'll tell you how I know I'm saved. I'll tell you how I know I'm not saved. I know I'm not, you know, I'm not making my salvation on anything I did. I'm not saved because I joined a church. I'm not saved because I sat and met with my pastor in his office. I'm not saved because I recited a prayer after my pastor one day. I'm not saved because I was baptized. I'm not saved because I believe in God. I'm not saved because I'm a good person. I'm not saved because that's just what we do. I am saved because of the blood of the Lamb. And I have repented of my sin and I have placed my faith in Christ. I love the things of Christ. I love his church. And I know that I have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens and is at the right hand of the Father interceding for me. That's how I know I'm saved. Because of what Christ has done. And when we think about living out the, the Christian life, now, I'll be the first one to admit, and I said something this week in a conversation to somebody, and I was kind of convicted because I, I think sometimes I try to, uh, 
I'm a mess, right? But you're a mess too. And I think sometimes in trying to say that, I try to convey that we're all a mess. None of us are perfect. That's what Christ is. He's perfect, but we need to come to him. But I got kind of convicted because I was talking to someone about that, and it almost made it sound like, well, I'm a mess, and I'm just worthless. And I thought, no, 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 that's not what I mean. I'm his, and he doesn't make mistakes. And I'm a little different, but so are you. But I'm his. So yeah, I might be a mess and you might be a mess, but I'm a child of the king. And I know that I have been saved and I know that I am his because I know what I've done in my heart and I've asked him to forgive me and I know that he can save me and I know that he had saved me and I know that I'm living for him. There's one mediator that has passed through the heavens And he is able to sympathize with our weaknesses, but in every respect is tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and grace and the help in the time of need. Christ to me is not some picture on a wall somewhere, and usually he's too white when I see him on the wall, by the way. I know that's a strange thing to say, but it's obvious that those pictures were made in America. Jesus probably does not look like me or you. And I see a picture of Christ on the wall, and we, we had this, you know, this, this is Christ. Listen, I know Christ. I am his, and he is mine. And he died on that cross. And I don't understand. I'd be the first one to tell you. We had some great theological discussions riding down the road in the van in between Cracker Barrel stops. There are so many secret things that belong to God that we'll never understand. But there are so many that we do understand. And that's what we cherish. I don't understand why in the world when Christ died on that cross that day, as we sing about, I was on his mind. I cannot fathom that. But he did. I have no idea of understanding why I was born to the parents that I was born so that I could go to church and I could hear the gospel. I have no way of understanding why he allowed me to be raised that way and not in some village in the middle of nowhere where I would never hear the gospel. I have no reason to understand that, but he did, and I'm grateful. We have a mediator, Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12. But when Christ had offered up for all time a single sacrifice for sin, understand the context of Hebrews here. There's a danger for the Christians to go back to the old covenant, to go back to Judaism. There's a, there's a danger here to go back to the works of religion. And the writer of Hebrew is encouraging them, you don't go back, we have Christ. You don't go back, we have Christ. Notice verse 12. But when Christ had offered up for all time a single sacrifice for sins, who sins? The sins of the redeemed. 
He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected all time those who are being sanctified. Christ is our mediator. Christ is our high priest. And as we see here in Hebrews 10, nothing more needs to be done. Saying that, what is it that is keeping you of calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to save you? You'd be surprised the number of people that I've talked to. It's For some reason, it's men. I, can I pick on men for a little bit? I've never had this conversation with a, a female. I don't know why. I know we're different. But I've had this conversation with so many adult men. And you ask the question like, you know, you're, you're here today. Do you, do, you, do you have that assurance of your salvation? Is there that point in time that you know you've repented of your sin and you place your faith in Christ? You hear this, well, and I just want to go, well. I always want to say something like, well, you know, well rhymes with hell. Well. And I don't know what's going on in the heart. I don't know what's going on. And I'm not saying that a a physical response is salvific. But to a pastor, a physical response is saying you're making the response, right? And so you're like, what is the one thing keeping you from repenting of your sin and placing your faith in Christ and following through with baptism and joining the local church and having Jesus Christ as Lord of your life? What could one thing be that is keeping you from that? Think about it from that standpoint. I've had people tell me that they, when they think about their salvation, they think about church attendance and think about the things that you do as a Christian. Well, I know I won't be able to go to church. So I like to get up and go. One guy told me that I like to get up and go deer hunting. So I'm like, so deer hunting is keeping you from bowing your knee to the Lord Jesus of the universe and you're going to spend eternity in hell over a deer. Well, I like my football games. Well, here we go. You could hear the weeping yesterday afternoon, couldn't you? I had two prayers yesterday. At 12 o'clock, a Georgia victory. At 3 o'clock, a Florida defeat. It doesn't hurt as bad if y'all lose two. And I, then I think, Really? Every time Georgia loses that first game, that big significant game, I always tell Sharon, it's not important anyway. If people would just focus on the gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ and these temporal things, I don't know why they get so worked up anyway. Isn't it sad though? Christ is enough. Somebody may ask, what about the, I will tell you this, the deer hunter came to know the Lord. I outsmarted him. I had a wild fish game dinner and got somebody to preach the gospel. So you can have a wild fish game dinner if you never get to the gospel. You just have had a wild fish game dinner. You can do a lot of things as a church, but if you don't get to the gospel, you're just hanging out. We had an association of wild fish game dinner. 
and R.D. came to know the Lord. And this is what he told me. All those talks I had with you, I knew I was wrong. I knew. And see, that's the great thing about salvation. You're not going to make any headway whatsoever until God's working in their heart. God had been working in R.D.'s heart for a long time. I don't understand how long it takes and when that time takes. I have no idea. But I know that he repented and he placed his faith in Christ because the gospel was proclaimed. And here's the thing about it. R.D. came to Sunday school, and R.D. came to church, and R.D. came to anything we had. He said, I don't care about deer hunting anymore. Everything we need, Christ has accomplished. Let me add a little something to that, if I may. That also means how we live our life. It's like we know we're saved, but there's something missing. I know I'm saved, but the gospel's not enough. I know I'm saved. No, it is enough. There's nothing more that needs to happen in our life. You find all your joy and satisfaction at the gospel the minute you enter in that relationship with Christ. There's nothing else that needs to happen. My joy is not in who I am as I grow in Christ as much as in who I am in Christ. That is enough. I am a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. My hope is in Christ. He is enough. Matthew 27, verse 51. Love this passage of Scripture. It's one of those that I remember sitting down and understanding what this meant. And just wanted to, again, I wanted to stand up and shout. I'm in a shouting mood today. Matthew 27. Verse 45, Matthew 27 and 45. Now that from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabathani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Man in the flesh crying out to God the Father, why have you forsaken me? Why have you allowed the the sin of humanity to fall on me? In one instance, I believe that it was the presence of God. uh, You know, theologically, it's almost impossible. But for that moment, the sins of humanity was on Christ. And it was like Christ felt abandoned. Because for the first time, him that was sinless bore our sin. Could you imagine being sinless and bearing your sin and your wrath and the death in hell that you deserve? And that was on Christ at that moment. And all he could do is cry out, why have you forsaken me? Verse 50, and Jesus cried out with a loud voice. And from John's gospel, we know he cried out, it is finished. And he took his last breath. Oh, look at verse 51. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from what? The top to the bottom. What did that curtain represent? The holies of holies. Who could go through the holies of holies? Only the high priest. It is finished. And I'm going to the Father. As your mediator. And the temple veil is torn. Christ is enough. No more is needed. The veil is torn. We can enter in. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 5. 
1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy, what does that say? Priesthood. We are being built up as a holy priesthood. We have the, the great high priest who, who gave his life on the cross. The temple veil is torn. Nothing else needs to be done. I have access to the Father when I repent of my sins and I place my faith in Christ. He knows me by name. I'm chosen before the foundation of the earth. I am his. I am blood-bought, redeemed, and I'm also a priest. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Verse 9. But you are a chosen race. Stay right there. Put your thumb right there. Go to Exodus 19. Exodus 19. Exodus 19. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the day when they came into the wilderness of Sinai, they set out for Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai. It's Exodus 19, verse 2. And they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to those of the house of Jacob, and you shall tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Remember the story of Moses coming out of Egypt, and now we're standing to receive the law? So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord God had said to them. Let me back up. I'm sorry, I skipped a verse. Verse 5. Now, therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and my covenant, I brought you out of Egypt. Verse 4. If you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. God is letting it out real quick there, the old covenant. Listen, it's all mine. I created it, I sustained it, it's mine. And you are going to be my special people of all humanity. And the old covenant, the nation of Israel. You're mine. I put you into captivity and I brought you out. You're mine. You shall be a a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The nation of Israel, if you look at the Levitical law, it was called to live holy and set apart. It was called to live differently and it was called in all things as it obeyed the law and it followed after the commandments of God. In all things, it lived its life in such a way that God was glorified and the nations knew that those were God's people. You should be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you shall speak to the people of Israel. 
1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Go back there. In the new covenant, because of what Christ has done, and because of Calvary, God is saying, you, church, individually as people, the redeemed, Christ followers, you are a chosen race. You are my instrument of praise and you are my instrument to proclaim the gospel, the church of the, of the living Christ, the church. Who are we? We are the church and we are a chosen race. We are a, a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are a people for his own possession. We don't need a high priest. We have a high priest in Christ. I don't need a church because I belong to the church. I am a chosen one. You are a chosen one. I am a a royal priesthood. You are a royal priesthood. I am a holy nation. You are a holy nation. For his own possession. To use. To make a difference. We, for some reason, we just get so, we can relate to the nation of Israel. Oh, the nation of Israel, God's special people. The nation of Israel, don't mess with Israel. They're God's special people. I would say, don't mess with the church. We're his special people. We're a royal priesthood, and we're running around like we're defeated. We're running around like the world's upside down, and what are we going to do? We're his. I'm a priest and we are a a holy nation and we are a people of his own possession. And he's given us a mandate and a mission and a ministry to know him and to grow in him and to live for him. And if I can't find joy in that, I must not be his. I hear preachers preach. And it's like they're, I feel like preachers today are just trying to get people to get it. I think we're missing it. If they don't get it, they're not his. That was kind of harsh, wasn't it? Have you ever seen what I'm trying to say? We're trying to get people to get doing something they ought to want to do anyway. If we've repented of our sin and placed our faith in Christ and we know that he is at the right hand of the Father, then we need to realize I'm a royal nation and a holy priesthood. He loves me, he knows me, he has gifted me, and he wants to use me. Harvey and I were talking a few minutes ago about getting old. And y'all know I'm halfway dead. My grandmother lived to be 100. Sharon is praying earnestly that I do not make it quite that long. I will be a terrible patient at about probably 80. I don't know how long I have, but I know as long as I have it, I'm going to use it for him. I know the older we get, we feel like we can't do as much for the Lord, but I think he's still on his throne, amen? He knows what he's doing through us and for us. He's got some young whippersnappers that can run around. We don't have to run around anymore. But we're still his. And we find our joy in that. 
And yes, I have to work. And yes, I have stuff I have to do. But the most important thing I have to do is I'm a child of the king. I am a royal priesthood. I am a holy nation. I am God's chosen one. I am his special possession that you may proclaim, in the verse 9, the excellence of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Man, that gets exciting. I'm his. I'm a priesthood of believers. I have Christ as my mediator. I have access to Christ, but it also means I've got a ministry to do here. And that high priest will close with this. The high priest would take the offering into the temple and they would lift up the the sacrifices and what they did. I can imagine how nerve-wracking that had to be to be the the high priest and get that one time a year to do that. I would know it would be, you know, what if I mess this up? What if I do this? What happened? Because you are doing something for the people, for God. I'm a priest. How is my life? Yes, we have the law, and it's a daily reminder that I'm sinful. But we have the blood of Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins. Every day I remind myself, it's not about me being happy. I'll tell you this right now. I love you, but I'm going to say this. I don't care how happy you are. Okay, I don't. That's terrible. Come visit our church where the pastor doesn't care how happy you are. I care about how holy we can be. Happiness is what I want. Holiness is who I ought to be. Am I holy? I'm a priest standing before the Lord, and my life is a direct reflection of my service to the Lord. And He has saved me, and He's called me, and He's gifted me, and I am His. As I told my own son, son, you don't need me for somebody to come to Christ. You share the gospel. The gospel is enough. We don't need anybody to get us to a spot where we know we're religious or uh, a, a priest needs to do this or a church needs to do that. You've got to come to Christ. It cannot, I, I will say this, I, I shared this, uh, the senior trip was great. Mentally, I'm exhausted. It's like grown babysitting. It's a good point. You know, when you're, when you're, when you're with, a good point, it's a good, good point. There's nine or ten, I don't even know, somebody asked me how many are here, and I said, dear Lord Jesus, I don't even know how many I brought with me. I don't even know, nine or ten, I think. No wonder I can't find everybody. But I do, and I, I, I don't tell them I said this if they're not here because they're probably wore out. I'm constantly feeling like, okay, where's everybody? Where's everybody? Okay, everybody come out of the bathroom. It's like grown-up babysitting. Oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness. Where they at? Where they at? Exhausted. I got home and told you, oh, my goodness. I'm exhausted. Why? Because I feel like I'm responsible. Oops, forgot one. Let me say this. I can't bear the responsibility of your walk with Christ. For the first part of my ministry, I used to try to preach so right and good that people would want to come back. For the first part of my ministry, I wanted to visit everybody right on time. 
I wanted to be able to make sure I made contact and shook a hand and patted everybody and said hello to everybody so they'd come back. Because people would say, I might not come back. I don't like his preaching. I don't think I'm going to come to church anymore because he didn't shake my hand. You know what? I think I'm going to quit giving. He preaches too long. That wore me out. You know what I do now? I realize you're either going to love Christ and follow him or you won't, but I can't wear myself out trying to talk you into doing something you're never going to do on your own anyway. That was liberating, by the way. Why can I say that so emphatically? Because if you repent of your sin and you place your faith in Christ, you are a priesthood of believers. And you've got a service to the Lord. You're a priest just like I am. I'm a pastor. You're not a pastor. We're priests. We're serving together. You've got a ministry to the Lord. You've got joy serving the Lord. You've got a gospel to share. You've got gifts to share. You've got one another in the church to pour your life in. We're all in this together. I can't bear that burden. I'm not your priest. Christ has already borne that burden. He is your priest. Let's stand as we pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, as we sing today that we realize that we belong to you, that we are yours. I pray, Lord, as we close our service this morning, that we understand that we are a priesthood of believers. If there's anyone here today that has never made that decision public, if there's anyone here today that is wrestling with their assurance, if there's anyone here today that knows they need to step out in faith and belong to a church and and be committed and faithful and belong to something bigger than themselves, I pray today would be that day. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.